0: Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. So how are we doing? So normally, um, before I get up here, we have a time of celebration, we celebrate like someone's story or something great that's uh, been going on and i got two things. First one uh, is, while some of you were watching the OSU game last night, I was slinging lattes with Foss Coffee Cart at the Grandview Hop. Uh, we got these cute photos of these dogs. There were people there as well, it wasn't just dogs. But uh, for those of you don't know, we do every Grandview Hop or, like, every month in the summer and uh, we make like hundreds of free drinks. And it's a super great way to love the community, to meet people, and also raise a couple hundred dollars. Specifically, uh, yesterday we raised it for Little Bottoms. So uh, that's really exciting. The other thing that, so that's local, kind of local impact. The other thing globally, last week if you were here, we asked you, I said, hey, let's raise $10,000. And we did it. Hooray. Uh, Yeah, we actually raised close to $11,000 for Promised Land Ministries, which is like our uh, global partner in Guatemala. And uh, we're going to build, a group of us is going in February of next year, and we're going to build four houses because of that. So thank you for giving to that. It's awesome. Uh, I love that we could do it in a day, and it just shows your guys' the generosity. So that's amazing. We also had, I think, uh, 14 to 16 people interested in going in the summer of next year. So that's exciting. We're getting excited for that. If you're interested, you can follow out a, uh, on the QR code. There's a spot to fill that out. And uh, just really excited about the work they're doing there. And so, yeah, it's just Honestly, I'm pumped. I haven't been there in a few years, and so I'm excited to go back and build some homes and share it with you guys when we come back from that trip. It'll be great. So, uh, If you have your Bibles, we're going to jump right in. I got a fun teaching today that's honestly, uh, if you saw, I have the whiteboard, and I have several colors. So this is going to be a week you wish you didn't sit in the absolute back unless you have laser vision. I'll try to write as legibly as I can. But uh, we're in Matthew 15, verse 21, as Allison read. And uh, just to kind of start, I want to review last week. If you weren't here, you were. Uh, the, 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 the tension of Jesus and his way and his disciples and his kind of ministry that he's revealing is starting to become more and more t- uh, tense with the religious leaders of the Jewish culture at this time. So the religious leaders came the whole way up, if you remember, from Jerusalem where they would reside to this high up near uh, the Sea of Galilee where Jesus was, and they were just kind of waiting for him to screw up and, like, call them out, right? And so the disciples are eating a meal. They don't wash their hands before, which was not a sanitary, necessarily, I think more of a ritualistic cleanliness thing. And the, elder, uh, the Pharisees are like, Jesus, like, why don't your disciples wash their hands? Like, our elders tell us to do that. And we, we know that Jesus basically, like, puts them in their place in front of everyone, calls them hypocrites, and is like, hey, you're worried more about your law than God's law. And it's great, okay? But the priority of that story is actually what Jesus is getting to the root of, which is the heart, we define the heart, the Greek word is cardia. Uh And if you weren't here, you're like, okay, what is cardia?" Well, in the, in the West right now, we define heart typically as just emotions. Meaning like, oh, I feel a certain way. I'll do this thing if my heart's in it, meaning if I feel good about it. But "cardia" in, the, in this culture, in the Greek culture, had four components to it. It was, yes, your emotions. That was a quarter of it. It was also your thoughts. And your will or your volition, your ability to just like conjure up to do something. And lastly, your conscience or your convictions. So all of those together make up your heart. And why that matters and why I'm re-explaining it today is because I realize how important it is. When we talk about inviting Jesus into our heart, have you ever heard that phrase? Or like having a relationship that, that abides in Jesus with your heart. You're not just referring to your emotions, which is really important as we kind of look at the Gospel of Matthew because Jesus' way like, uh, is dictating far more than just our emotions. And my, my example for that, if you're curious, because I, I want to kind of explain it practically is uh, fasting. If you've ever fasted before, and I'm, I know there's a lot of different things you can fast from, but just specifically food fasting, Jesus followers are called the fast. And I will say anytime I fasted, I have pretty much never had a positive emotional feeling about it. Um, I Unfortunately, I don't know if it's a blessing or a curse, probably a blessing. I have a very high metabolism. So if I go like a few days without eating, I feel like I'm literally going to wither away. And then I get worried about, like, can I keep up with my work week, or can I work out, if I'm, can I run, if I'll probably pass out, and then I'm worried, why well, i be a good father or husband, right? And I have all these negative emotions towards fasting. And so that's one quarter of my heart. But do I just not do it because a quarter of my heart isn't there? No. I know through my thoughts that, like, I'm called to fast, and there's beauty in it. There's also just, like, seeing God's blessing and doing it. It's a, and I know that the, all the times I have fasted, it's been a really great formative season for me. Uh, And I also know like, just in my own will that I can do it, that I'll survive, I won't die. I'm not doing like 30, 40 days without water, okay? I'm maybe just doing a day or so or a few days without food. So I'll survive, I know, I'll get through it, I've done it before. And then my my conviction, though, gives me this gut feeling that I can honor God and and just experience his tangible um, blessing by doing this. So that is what it means when we talk about our heart. And so if we take that idea and we kind of put it together, it really starts to help us understand that, Following Jesus and having our heart be towards him is really a very holistic thing. And so today, you're going to see a woman's heart that is just honestly powerful. Uh, Matthew uses, it, uses the word great, and he doesn't really use it anywhere else. That She has a great faith and heart. And so we're going to jump in, and uh, starting off in verse 21, we're talking about uh, geography, which I know how much of you guys love geography, especially when it's not even in America. You have no idea where anything is. But uh, I'm going to show you this fun map. I showed you this a couple weeks ago. Uh, I know it's kind of small, but the colors were the different rulers. If you remember back to our soap opera a few weeks ago where John the Baptist was beheaded because the king was drunk and he made a dumb promise. And so this is uh, these colors were all basically like the territories. And if you look, it's really hard to see. Up at the absolute top of the map is Tyre. That's not in that region. It's not a Jewish predominant region. And so Jesus has been ministering and healing in in mainly Jewish areas. And it says in verse 21 that he actually went up to the region of Tyre and Sidon. So you can go to the next map, and this will kind of zoom in on it. If you see, they're both on the coast, Tyre, and then Sidon north of that. Uh, And Jesus was just in Genesaret, which is over by the Sea of Galilee. Now, what's interesting about this, and you're like, okay, they just look like cities to me. What's interesting about this is that Sidon and Tyre are actually part of the Phoenician region, um, which Mark says in his account of this. Mark, The Gospel of Mark has this story, too. But if you look, this is an elevation map. You kind of have to go through these mountains. You you go down, and then you go up through. And uh, Jesus is taking this travel up to this region. Now, he's not in the cities. It says he's in the region. And basically, Mark says that he, he goes to a house, and he just stays at a house there. So Jesus is traveling pretty far, and he's taking the same route that the Assyrian king, hundreds of years before that, in like 700 B.C., Would have taken over and basically just like tortured people. Assyrians were the most brutal people in history. They were the experts of like literally anything, execution, torture, anything like that. And so they would take this route and they executed, tortured Phoenicians, uh, Israelites, all that. And Jesus taking the exact same route. And what's really cool is this is the first time he's left the Jewish area, as you can see. And he's kind of like, instead of bringing torture and death and execution and just terribleness he's bringing restoration and healing so Jesus is basically running away because we know that the Pharisees were like we're going to kill you now because you just made fun of us in front of all these people and so he's running away to this area and he's in in this area is is basically non-jewish or we use the phrase gentile if you've ever heard that gentile just means non-jewish if you didn't grow up with Jewish heritage you are a gentile I am a gentile and it's basically anybody who isn't jewish and this whole area is Gentile-driven. And not only that, but the Gentile culture we know is a little bit different than Jewish culture. They don't believe in Yahweh, the one true God. They believe in, like, several gods. And this culture would have easily worshipped several different gods. One of the most popular was Eshmon, which was the god of healing, who was considered to be the holy prince of Sidon, which is the city in the north. And so we have that kind of backstory. Now we get to this: the woman. So in verse 22, a Canaanite woman... From that area came and cried out, Have mercy on me, Lord, Son of David. My daughter is horribly demon possessed. Okay, a woman comes, bursts into the house, and she's like, Hey, have mercy on me. Now, remember, Matthew's writing to Jewish listeners, right? He's trying to convert them from basic Judaism, saying Jesus really is God with us, the Messiah, the Son of David, right? And they're listening and they hear the word Canaanite and they're just like, Hmm, that's the worst. Get that woman out of the story. They hated the Canaanites. The Canaanites in the Old Testament, in the front half of your Bible, they were literally rivals. Like, and not like, like fun play for rivals. Like The Canaanites like, child sacrifice and torture people and had several wives. Like, just terrible people. And they had constantly infiltrated the Israelites and married and caused them to, to, to worship several different idols. So like, their relationship not good. So if a Jew heard of a Canaanite, there would be mean words coming out of your mouth or you'd ignore them. Right? And so in this instance, we have a Canaanite woman okay, who lives in that area. And she says, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. Now, what's unique here is that Lord, son of David are two endearing terms. Like if you call someone Lord or master is what that means. You're probably like not just talking to anyone. You know they're either higher up than you or they, they deserve the reverence of that title. And son of David is very much a Jewish term. That's that's what Jesus was claiming to be, was the son of David, the line of David, because Jewish people were awaiting the son of David that would basically save them of their sins and of the world. And she says both of these things, but the thing is, if you you really think about it, it's not necessarily appropriate for her. She's not Jewish. She doesn't subscribe to the Jewish law. And so she's kind of like chalking up these words of endearment that actually are kind of inappropriate. The best way to describe it is if, uh, you know, the... um, the Queen of England recently died a few weeks ago, but if she was alive and you would go to London or wherever she resided in in England, probably London, right? and you you said, hello, my queen, and she'd be like, you're an American, I'm not your queen. Like It would almost be disrespectful because you you were assuming something of her that was not accurate because she's the queen of people who are English, not American. And so that's basically what she's doing. Not only were Jewish people hated Canaanites, but... To say, like, son of David, the Lord, it's like, I'm not your Lord, you know? And we think that, okay, but it's okay. Like, Jesus is, he's a forget, like, are you kidding me? Jesus has the biggest heart of compassion, right? He just just fed 15,000 people while he was mourning the death of his cousin. Like, surely, this will be no problem. Verse 23, what does he do? He does not answer her a word. He ignores her. Now, all the Jewish listeners are like, yes. That's what I'm talking about. Ignore the Canaanite. We hate Canaanites. They're probably like cheering. Like, yay! Now we don't have to love Canaanites, right? And then the disciples come to Jesus and they're begging him. They're like, can you just get her out of here? She keeps crying out after us. So they're like, we don't want this woman. She's annoying or for whatever reason, they're like, get her out of here. And they're just begging her to, or they're begging him to get rid of her, whether it's to just just oblige by her request, whatever, or just be like, get out of here. We're not going to do it. And he's ignoring her, basically. And... The disciples, obviously, you know, they're just selfish. They only care about themselves, basically. And they're just like, I don't want to deal with this woman in here, so let's get her out of here. And so Jesus replies to them. Once again, still not talking to this woman. He answers them. He says in verse 24, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, this, this point in the story is, is if you've got to know a little bit of history of the Bible. And I'm going to give you the quickest two-minute version of the Bible you've seen. So you just got to bear with me here. And don't worry about, if you want to take notes, you can. But if you're listening on a podcast, I am very sorry. <laughs> so, beginning of the Bible, okay? Adam and Eve, no sin, right? Uh, it's beautiful. It's, it's the depiction of shalom, human peace with the Creator. And then what happens is they rebel. And so, basically what that means is they decide they will be better gods than God himself. And they rebel and they sin, which is not good, okay? And then God's like, it's okay? You're out of garden even. There's going to cause separation between my holiness and you guys. We'll do this through sacrifices and these type of things. And he says, through a nation you'll be blessed. I will redeem you through the nation of... Anybody know? Israel. Good job, guys. <laughs> through Abraham. Father Abraham. You know that song, surely, if you've heard it. Has many sons, right? Many sons has Father Abraham. Okay? So then he's like, okay, I'm going to... Through Abraham, I will kind of restore this, this blessing, this kingdom of blessing in... And relationship. And then, that doesn't go so well. It provides manna, right? Bread from the sky. And they're like, we're going to hide some in our tents because we don't know if you'll do it tomorrow. We don't trust you. And they just keep sinning, and it's like the worst, right? Bad. And then, they're like, we want a king like everybody else, right? All the cool people have kings or queens, right? And they're like, let's have a king. And so then, they have all these bad kings. Finally, though, they have this true king, which is King David. And so, they install... David, and he's this amazing king who God renews his covenant with the people. He says, I'm going to work through David, the son of David. Now, we know that David also was not a good guy. He was good for a little bit. And then he basically saw a naked woman that he wanted. He took her, killed her husband, got her pregnant. Pretty bad, right? If you don't know the story, it's wild. Um, also bad. And so this is the way the world is looking right now. okay? And the Jewish people at this time are listening to Matthew, who's giving this story of the gospel account of Jesus. They know this to be the story, and what they're doing is they're just kind of waiting for like, what is God going to do through the, the phrase in the Old Testament, I believe it's Isaiah, is the root of Jesse. Jesse, David, that lineage. So they're waiting for the Messiah, and they're trying to figure out, is Jesus really him? Is he the son of David, which is who the Canaanite woman says he is, right? And so you have this trajectory of like, just the world just not doing well, and then this is where Jesus comes on the scene. I'm going to write JC just to shorten it here, but this is where Jesus comes on the scene, and currently in the Bible, like right where we're at right now, Jesus has not died and resurrected and saved us from our sins. But we kind of know the ending for the most part. And so Jesus, basically through this terrible sinful lens, restores humanity. He gets a green check mark. Good for him, right? And but this is this is the Bible as we know it. Now, we also know the end of the story, and the end is that basically we uh, the end of Matthew is we're called to make disciples of all nations, right? So basically, we would say we're an evangelical church. That means that we believe we should share the good news of the gospel with everybody and then everybody should be able to hear it. And it's a priority for us. And so if we go to the end of time, right, like that's, this is our goal, it's to give it to all the nations, okay? So Israel was a nation, okay? And then they did bad, humanity, nation. Then they did kings, right, which was David. And then Jesus is the true king. And then at the end, we know the result. And, uh, and this is in Matthew 28. Like I said, if, we'll get there in several weeks. But the end of Matthew is go make disciples of all nations. Okay, so this is like the current story that we're filling in. We get to cheat ahead because we know the end of the story. But the, the, the Jewish listener is inundated in this. Failure, having to atone for their sin through sacrifice. You tracking with me? We good right now, hopefully? Okay, if not, I'm sorry. Uh, And so what what is occurring in this story with this Canaanite woman is she has not been a recipient of this, right? She's like rebellious human, but Jewish people hated everyone else because they're like, well, they're not like following God's laws. They don't believe God is the one true God, right? So there's this like animosity between them. And so Jesus is actually, in the way that he's responding, he's responding in the way you would expect any Jewish rabbi to respond. We hate Canaanites. I'll ignore you or say very mean things about you which is where we get to the next verse, which is pretty shocking. She won't take no for an answer. She hears him say that to the disciples. She's like, nope. So she comes in verse 25 uh, and bows down before him, gets in his face. She was in the room, now she's like in front of him, right? like, Lord, please help me. She says, Lord, again, help me. and, And Jesus responds to this woman's plea. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, he said. I don't know about you, that's pretty terrible. Like, if you're reading that, you're like, that can't be right, right? Is that a typo? Or like, a very long typo? Like, Jesus is like, he just had compassion, and, and what, what is going on, right? This is the one where you're like, let's just cut that one out of the Bible, right? Because surely he can't, like, he can't be, like, racist, right? Like, that's not a, like, Jesus is not racist, right? So what's going on here? And, and it's even more confusing if you've been tracking with us in Matthew. There were several other times where he's healed a Gentile, right? It's not like he's like, I don't ever hear Gentiles right now. He, the, one of the first healings in Capernaum was with a, uh, a Roman centurion, a soldier, and his daughter, a slave girl, was sick, and, and he's not, she's not even there, and, he, and he's like, Lord, heal them, and Jesus is basically like, no, and then he's like, like I send men where I send them, and I know like, that I can give in a command, I can cause something to happen, and basically you can do the same thing, and he, and he says, surely I've never seen anyone with greater faith in all of Israel, right, than this man, and they're like, what? And then he heals the, the girl. So he's done it. He also then rode across his boat across the lake and then healed two demon-possessed men in Gentile country. So why is he saying this? It, it's baffling. And if you read it, it's kind of discouraging because you're like, does this mean that I should be mean to people or like refuse them? And what I'm going to tell you is that the answer is a little bit complex, but it's because there's several things going on here. And I'm going to try to explain them all the best I can and kind of frame it here. She responds to him. Her response is telling. It says, yes, Lord. She replied, like, yes, what you're saying is right. It's true. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, or some translations say, Oh, woman, your faith is great. Let what you want be done for you. And her daughter was healed from that hour. Matthew says your faith was great. He really never says that other than the centurion. And what's going on here is, and there's two different translations of dogs. So, if you called someone a dog, negative connotation, even today I think if you called someone a dog, probably not a good thing, right? Um, there's even a bad word for dog. Um, and in this context, there's two different types of dogs, but what they're referring to is not like the Mangy Street scrap dog, but like the household, they actually had household dogs, that would literally like, you'd be, you, in this culture, you'd take a piece of bread and you'd dip in stuff and eat it and there would literally be crumbs that hit the floor and the dog was your Dyson, okay? Just eat it all up, right? It's great. Some of you still have a dog now, and you're like, yeah, that's what the dog does, right? It's great. And, 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 and so what, what's happening here is she knows that this is how this goes. Like, she understands this, which is pretty awesome, because she's in a Gentile society. It's pretty crazy that she knows this. And so there's this deep faith in her of what Jesus can do for her, regardless of her race or ethnicity, right? Regardless of that, she knows that he can do it. And so her response is not actually very, like, submissive. It's kind of feisty. It's basically like, yeah, I see your parable, but here's the hole in it. Because even, uh, she says, even um, dogs can eat the crumbs that fall from the table, right? Yeah, we're not going to get the main entree, but like, we'll get something. We will. There will, there will always be excess. And the message paraphrase, which is another paraphrase of the Bible, says it great. It says, in this, it says, he said, it is not right to take bread out of children's mouths and throw it to the dogs. And she was quick. You're right, master. But beggar dogs do get scraps from the master's table. And so, what's going on here is it it, it looks like she's like giving Jesus a Bible lesson. Once again, no, Jesus is not racist. No, I think he knows the Bible pretty well, right? He's the Son of God. He knows the Bible. So, what is happening here? And and like I said, a couple things are happening. The the main thing is that everything Jesus is doing is pointing to one us to like emulate, right? Jesus would would we are to be like Jesus. But he's also being a rabbi in front of these disciples who are always with him. He will say certain things to them in parables. He'll act in a certain way to, to, to have them engage in the story. And for us, when we sit down in a lecture in college, we're Western thinking. We're like, give me the information right here. Just straight here, bullet points, right? In the East, it's far different. In this culture, a one consistently popular way of learning as a rabbi was to just go through c- circular thought, questions, and kind of just bounce around. So you'd ask leading questions, right? You ever have anybody do that where, like, they're trying to get you to learn something, and they're like, asking you a leading question that they assume you know the answer to and you're like, I don't know it and if I say the wrong thing I'm going to feel like an idiot. That's kind of like what's going on and w- the reason why they do that is because if I was to tell one of you and sit down with you and I want you to do this certain thing, if I just say, hey, I want you to do this thing, you need to stop doing that, you'd be like, no. But if I, if I drew that out of you, if you realized, oh my gosh, I need to do this thing, and I'm like, yes, you do, that's great, I'm so glad you came up with that, right? It, it, it promotes greater ownership. And so Jesus is pulling out this woman's great faith. And the reason why he's pulling it out is, like anything, we're not capable of how deep something is until we're tested. If you've ever watched the show about like the Navy SEALs where they all just like basically have to like drown to learn what it's like, one of the most staggering things about it is that you can withstand far more water in drowning than you think you can. Like, for instance, if I stick my head under water, after 45 seconds, my brain's like, no, you're going to drown, you're going to take on water, I lift your head up, and Boom. 47 seconds, right? But actually, I can actually go, just, they say, like, everybody can, their brains are telling you too early. You could go another probably 20 seconds before you'd actually start, like, absorbing water and choking and all that, right? But your body is instinctually responding, and so you live your life thinking you can only hold your breath for 45 seconds. And Jesus is like, no, 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 there's far more to that. And so he's pulling out this woman's faith by kind of, like, making her, essentially, work for it by by showing the radical Ability for her to just have this deep faith. And then the other reason why it's powerful is all the disciples are watching this. So the disciples are, 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 are seeing what they know to be true. Yeah, Jewish people hate Canaanites. Yeah, ignore her. Yeah, tell her that we're for, the, we're for Israelites. We're not for Gentiles. And they are like, whoa, wait, what? Oh, wait, because at the end he, he heals her daughter. And then all the Jewish listeners are thinking the same thing. They're like, yeah, Canaanites are the worst. We don't like them. Yeah, ignore her. Be mean to her. Kick her out, right? The disciples want to kick her out. Get rid of her. And then he's like, yeah, and he says the things about the dogs. That's right. And then, oh no, wait, why did he heal her daughter? So he's, he's drawing everybody into the realm that was known, was that, that, that this son of David who was to come would be for the Jewish people. But this woman had a faith that transcended all of that, and she said, no, 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 I'm, I'm, in, I'm here, but I know that what you have and what you're going to offer, I want it now, even though I'm not in this camp. So... This area right here, and this is after Jesus dies, resurrects, it is Jesus is is revealing and restoring his kingdom to the world through this nation, Israel. So, Israel is here. Okay? So, it's probably hard. Sorry. Bad writing. But, Israel is here. So, Jesus has decided when I ascend, right, the world will come to know me. It will be a light, right, in the world. It will be my chosen nation, Israel, that will start that fire or flame, if you will. And, If you think about it, Jesus, in Matthew 4, when he picks his disciples, all of them are Jewish. So he picks 12 disciples that are Jewish, right? This is in Matthew 4, a long time ago in our series. How many nations were there? Twelve. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to have people, which is a terrible idea, help the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is from here on, redeem the world through... The Israelites. Now, it doesn't mean that we know the end of the story, like I said. We, we share the gospel to all people. But Jesus starts through the Israelites, okay? And then through the Israelites and the Holy Spirit, we start to see Jesus' sacrifice become this, this kingdom in our world. that just is this beautiful reality of, the, of what we'll have for eternity, life for eternity. Now, this is one vignette of this that we're reading right now. And the Canaanite woman, her faith is on this fringe. Because remember, she's not an Israelite. She's like right here, Okay? and she's like i know that you i know what the i know what the end game is and i want it now and i know you can do it now because there'll even be crumbs right now for me there's enough of you jesus to go around that your power is capable of healing and saving my daughter right now and this is like profound because she didn't grow up jewish like it's not like i mean she's in a town that wouldn't really talk about it a lot so her faith is astonishing but what i want to show you is that this trajectory is, is what Matthew has been lacing all throughout this entire story. So we're like week 50, something like that, in Matthew. And Matthew's been doing this the whole time. Okay, so this right here is just sin, right? This is like, I mean, this is literally like, I mean, there's still sin now, but this whole era just people screwing up, making bad choices. So if we just take another, this was, this was basically pride and, and rebellion. If we take another sin that's been around for centuries, how about false idols? Like making gods your idol. Now we just are addicted to phones and money and whatever. You name it, right? Our false idols. And this is another trajectory of sin that we're dealing with. How about, another one could be poverty. Whether it's like physical poverty, right? You don't have clean water. You don't have money. Or it's emotional poverty, mental poverty, spiritual poverty, right? You can have all those things. And these, these, this sin wreaks havoc on the world. And so Matthew takes these sins that are still here today that, we're, that, we're, that we know of. And he, he takes this trajectory of the Bible and he brings us another few instances of this. Let me explain, because I know you're like, what is happening, okay? So if Jesus is here, right, on this, okay? This is the, the transition point, okay? Jesus in Matthew, uh, Matthew 10, I want to make sure I get it right. In Matthew 10, yes, sends out t- his 12 disciples, okay? If you remember this, He sends out the 12 disciples, and it's pretty radical. He's like, go out there, don't bring anything with you. Just go to a house. If they receive you, great. If not, wipe the dust off your boots and keep going. But he says, go only to the houses of Israel, if you remember that. It's kind of a unique line. You're like, that's kind of racist again. Why is Jesus only saying that? That doesn't make any sense, right? Remember, his disciples are to fulfill through the Israelites first. So they go to the lost house of Israel. Then in Luke 10, which is another gospel account, if you remember this, it's not in Matthew, so we haven't covered it, but Jesus sends out 70, and he doesn't designate where to go. He just says, go everywhere. Go to the Gentiles. Go to all the nations. Go to all the people, right? Seen a, seen a pattern. So, through false idols, which is believing in false gods, living just a life that's not of the kingdom, Jesus' plan is disciples, or Israelites, Israel, to all people, to all nations, to everyone. Now, this one is the most fresh for us. Um... We talk about bread and manna in the Old Testament, if you remember, Jesus made, or God made it in bread in the Old Testament. The New Testament, our, our illustration of this is Jesus fed a couple weeks ago. How many people? Does anybody remember? How many people did Jesus feed bread to? You remember? 5,000. Is that easy? 5,000 men. So uh, that's like 20,000 people, or I don't know, 15,000 people, whatever. And where the, where those people were Jewish, if you remember because The region was Jewish, there was all Jews, and uh, that was just a few chapters ago. I think that was Matthew 14. Okay, so we just learned that. Are right, you tracking here? So Jesus feeds 5,000 people. How many uh, this is a trivia question? How many loaves of bread were left over? Do you guys remember, or well, like baskets of food? 12. Interesting. Okay, 12. You guys seen a trend here 12, 12, 12. Okay, now. Now that now we're sitting here, you're probably like, wait, where is he going next? Let's look in your Bible. We just read to verse 28. Okay, verse 29. When he left there, Jesus went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up a mountain where he sat down. Then large crowds came to him, bringing with him the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, this, the impoverished. Then... They laid them at his feet, and he healed them. As a result, the crowd was amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they praised, who did they praise? The God of Israel. Think about that. Why would you say God of Israel if you're Jewish? You wouldn't say that. It's Yahweh, the one true God. You wouldn't say God of Israel. It's because these people are not Jewish. They are Gentiles. If you go back to the map, the third one, he, he comes back down to the other side of the Sea of Galilee over near like Hippos, G- uh, Gadara area. And that's uh, what we know. It's, a, it's called the Decapolis. It's like 10 cities and it's all Jewish or Gentile people. Jesus is, is over there and he's got thousands of people again. And what does he do? He starts healing all these people. And so Matthew in his writing of this gospel is like, hey, this Canaanite woman is going to be this door hinge. This door hinge of, to the Jewish and then to the Gentile because look at the next story. Right after that, Jesus healing everyone. They're praising the God of Israel. And then verse 32, what happens? He feeds 4,000. Then Jesus called his disciples and said, I have compassion on the crowd. There's this compassion again. Because they had already been there with me three days. They have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry since they might faint on their way. And so the disciples said, "And Where can we get enough bread in this desolate place to satisfy so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, he said, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven, and a few small fish. Another just small meal, right? After instructing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and after giving, giving thanks, he, remember, broke the, the bread. It was the sign of his body, we know. He's foreshadowing the body to be broken to feed those. And they all ate and were satisfied. He gave them to the disciples, he gave them to the crowds, and they all ate, and they were satisfied. They picked up the broken pieces, left over seven baskets full, not counting, you know, children and women, there were 4,000. So, Matthew 15, here we have a story right after of Jesus feeding, this Matthew 15, Jesus feeding 4,000 Gentiles. How many baskets were left over? Seven. Seven is the number of completion or uh, perfection. It is all. It is fully complete and whole. Now, do you see what Matthew, are you trying to get? You're like, I'm starting to get it. I think I get it. Maybe I'm way off. I don't know. This is the trajectory of the Bible, and this is what this story of this Canaanite woman is. The lowest of the low, hated by Jews, Matthew is showing these Jewish listeners. He's saying, hey, not only is this Messiah the one to be, it is the line of David, which actually is literally the lineage of David. It is the son of David, the one to come, the Yahweh saves, for not only you, but for everyone. But you are a part of that process of sharing it to everyone. And so we see in, in, uh, in Jesus sending out the twelve, he sends them out to the house of Israel, and then we sends them out to the nations. We see in the, in the food, right, that Jesus provides for phys- like literally physical hunger, poverty, Right, and he uh, and he has twelve baskets left over for the Jewish people, the twelve tribes, twelve disciples, and then the Gentiles he has seven. This is this is basically the Bible summed up, <laughs> but it's it's beautiful to see like this is the trajectory of the world, and once Jesus comes on the scene, everything changes, and he doesn't just inc- just choose to like let it be, but he uses people to become the light and the church for everybody else. And, and why this story right here is so powerful, this Canaanite woman, is because she has a great faith And Matthew, knows it, because Matthew knows that she's already ahead of the game. Like, she might be here, but she's like, no, 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 give me some of this. She knows what Jesus is capable of doing. And so, for you, one personal application is just, regardless of your, of your status, of your race, of your wealth, of your knowledge, if there is a deep-seated heart, remember, cardia, faith, like this desire, not just your emotions or your intellectual convictions, all of that, right? You can be like this woman and say, no, 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 I know what you're capable of doing, and I want that. I want that for me. I want it for my daughter. And Jesus is like, oh, woman, your faith is great. It's like no one else's. That is truly phenomenal, amazing faith. And that's what this story is all about. And, and for us, like I said, we take ownership of the, the heart aspect but what is beautiful about this thread of, of bread, um, because literally this one's about crumbs, is that Jesus is the bread of life, right? We use this, you hear this in, um, in John, and it's this idea of every day we have to eat food. I know I talked about fasting, but we can only live so long without food. Every day we have food that nourishes, fulfills our body. Jesus says, hey, I have bread that will never make you hungry again. I'm living water that will make you never thirst again. And there was bread given daily here and it did not go well, right? They're like, nah, I'm going to stockpile because I don't know if God will provide the next day. And there are bread, there are people who are hungry here and Jesus takes it, he he gives it to the Father and gives thanks for what the Father has provided. And he's basically foreshadowing his final journey to Jerusalem where he will be the broken bread for us. So I want to invite the band up and as we transition into a time of communion, this is kind of the, the crux of the story is that Jesus is the bread of life for us. And that not only, you know, these Jewish listeners should be excited and also a little bit repentive, because excited that the Messiah truly is the son of David, that he has fulfilled all of these things that they knew, but that he didn't just stop there and that he wants them to be a part of reconciling the whole world to him. And so for us, as we take communion, which we're actually singing the song next, um, our last song is Communion, is the name of the song. The reason why we call it Communion or bread and cup, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, is the last night Jesus was on earth. He said, this is, this is relationship. It's eating a meal with me and reminding of the symbol of what it means. The juice is my blood and the, the bread is my body. That's, that will be broken for you. And so, if in your heart you have this deep, welling faith, like I want to follow Jesus or I am following Jesus and I want to remind myself of that, we offer this every Sunday for you because it's a reminder when you take the bread and you crunch on the body that, that Jesus died for us and so he was broken so that this sin pattern that still abounds in the world today, had to be atoned for. And Jesus made all the difference, and he's including us in the redemptive um, reconciliation of the whole world. And that is all in this story, in Matthew's opinion, rooted on a ragtag, poor Canaanite woman. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.